It's that time. You know what time it is, right? It's Thirsty Thursday. We're here with you. I'm here with you. Ray, Ray, are you here with us? Yeah, I suppose I am. I suppose I am. <laughs> now, you know, uh, the Ray, the, the Russians apparently have been listening to our uh, our podcast on Burn and Return, and uh, mm-hmm. they have uh, they have ransomware all of Matt's uh, nudes, and so he is he is assembling uh, a large uh, scale Bitcoin uh, payment right now to try and uh, free those and get back on his uh, PC so he can join us. But no, seriously, he's uh, he's making the drive back home. He'll be here shortly, but we're gonna get started but- here with our extra special guest tonight right and you know why this person is extra special way he's near and dear to our hearts for several reasons but the most important one i think right is this is that as a wisconsinite right this gentleman here contributes to making some of the greatest fertilizer known to man and for every <laughs> beer brat butter burger and cheese curd that he consumes and deposits in the toilet mill organite is made that much better i'd like to welcome our friend Jason. Jason, how are you this evening? <laughs> Doing fantastic. And yeah, I have often made the joke that I get the uh, employee discount on, on my life. It's, <laughs> it's a heck of a lot cheaper here than it is in most parts of the country now. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard, and I don't know this to be true or not, but I have heard that back in the day, you literally could go down to the sewerage district and just buy it like right there. Like they had bags of it you could just buy. Uh, at the treatment facility, at the the main treatment facility in Milwaukee. I don't know if I can vouch for that. Um, I'm yeah, saying like you, way you, back. Yeah, I, I've I've only been been doing this for three four years now, so way way back would be outside of when I would have been looking for for fertilizer. But you definitely know uh, when you are driving past the plant. That's that's not a secret. Well, and and as it shouldn't be, right? So. Ray, that's uh, that's your number one reason that you don't use it, right? Is uh, you know, there's only a few places, few very special places in your life that you'd like to smell like shit, and I don't think the lawn is any one of those. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, and there's uh, other reasons that I know we got into on the actual burning return. Mm-hmm. All the things that come with, because you see. It's one thing if people just go numero dos, but there's all manner of other things that end up in a wastewater system that uh, are not so savory and good if they're re-released back into the environment. Mm. Yeah, you know? and I, I think that's 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 the thing is that there, you know there are a lot of things I think. Uh, that people like to make fun of Milorganite for, and there is a place for it. And I thought that, you know, with Jason being from Wisconsin, you know, we'd, we'd poke a little fun at it, but it has a place. Mm-hmm. It has a purpose. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's okay. It does get a bad rap and it's only because I think sometimes it gets overused, but in any regard, right. Uh, we're here to talk about Jason's lawn. He does have a, a, a can we tease the YouTube channel now? Can we like pre tease the YouTube channel? Is that mm-hmm. okay? I don't see why not. Okay, so so lay it on us. How can how can folks find you if they want to Google you and start watching videos while you're talking over top of them? So uh, everything in, for me is in my name, which is Jason Cyberlick. Um, the the thing I learned very early on 
is I did this under my normal Google account. And when I went to change the channel name, I realized I couldn't. And I was past the point of no return. And they, <laughs> I would definitely I would definitely not recommend uh, having your YouTube channel name be a, na- a name that nobody can pronounce. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I started um, making YouTube content in 2019, largely because um, this is my second house. At the first house, we did a bunch of work outside. We did landscaping work. We ripped a bunch of stuff out, and I don't really have anything to show before and after progress, anything like that. And then uh, this, this we're on just a little bit under of an acre here at this house, and it was an absolute nightmare. And I wanted mm. to have the the progress report for myself. So a lot of what I've done is realistically just for me, and then I hope other people watch it. Um, but yeah, no, I basically just wanted to have, as I went through what was basically a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, so this was this would have been spring of 21. Um, and like, so this area is just like, it was just creeping Charlie basically. And that's what the whole backyard Mm -hmm. was. And so basically I've kind of documented my journey and what I've learned and what I can hopefully pass on to other people, either that I did incorrectly or correctly, um, and kind of help, help them out as best I can in, uh, and do things that, you know, can be done by anybody because I'm no genius or expert or professional. So. Yeah. No, and that's the reason. That's the reason I asked about the YouTube channel is because I, I, you know, I went back to the beginning and looked at it and saw that it was, it was basically, you know, a clean slate, a fresh start, and it was just that. So I thought that was a good segue to talk about like how you got here, right? Like, so you move into the second house, and was it just that it was so abysmal that you were like, I got to do something, or what was the impetus there to be like, all right, I need to, you know, do something with the yard and. Also, I'm going to document it under my uh, under my uh, real name. Which, by the way, real quick aside, if you could pick a stage name for your YouTube channel, right, or something catchy, have you thought about it? Like, if you could change it, what would you change it to? Well, what I what I wanted to do is our lawn, just because, like, I I the way I view YouTube and and what I watch is I kind of become you know the the interesting thing about YouTube versus you know a, a regular celebrity is you quite often get a little bit more glimpse into them as a person. And so you kind mm-hmm. of become invested or whatever. So I kind of wanted to, to pitch that thing where like, this is just a journey that we're all going to go on together. So welcome back to our lawn is usually how I start videos. So that would be it. Um, but to your, to your other question about, you know, why did I start? I kind of always mm-hmm. wanted to get into having, I kind of always wanted to have a nice yard. I always liked cutting the grass. I thought it was like a, a fun as far as chores go, I thought it was the more fun of them. Um, and then I just went on to YouTube and saw what was possible. And so then, yeah, I just kind of wanted to to send it and see how nice I could get. So I've basically tried to do it every way. So the backyard I left mostly alone, other than killing it on accident once um, and seeding it one time. And then the front yard, I've done a complete uh, Kentucky bluegrass renovation. And then I got a little side section that I've started to experiment with uh real mowing and then also i took me several years to figure out that the problem grass that i was fighting against in my backyard was in fact bent grass and so being a golfer then i decided that i might as well try to have a putting green as well wow (laughs) wow so things escalated quickly you yes essentially embrace the bent you basically embrace the bent because uh, 
I'm going to be the weird person in that when somebody tells me bent grass, I'm not creeped out, weirded out, or upset. What I tell them is, okay, you're going to be mowing low then because that's what I, that's what I understand bent grass to be is it's hideous when you keep it high and it's mixed in with a higher growing cool season grass. But if you're mowing it low, it is something special. Yeah, it's the worst when it's tall because it basically just lays over like it just is so dramatic. It just lays over on itself and dies. And it looks it looks <laughs> terrible. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. I was just I was just laughing. I was laughing. But the funny thing is, Jason, is laying over on itself and dying because of that. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like how a lot of warm season grasses act if they're not mowed low enough. They okay. do it. Yeah, I, mean, I have no experience with, with warm season grass. Well, because... Uh, not yet. The other, yeah, the other, <laughs> the other day, uh, I was uh, basically setting my groomer on my mower to cut into somebody's lawn to zero because that was a zoysia lawn that was starting to lay in on it, lay over on itself. And I warned the, I warned the customer. I told him, you know what? Uh, your lawn is going to have to be, you know, mowed down. And please don't do the that. Grass, down. <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, don't you you have to be a little more delicate with bent grass and but on the other hand, that is why I like bent grass and to a lesser degree Bermuda because bent you don't need to beat up. You don't need to Oh, but you can't. You know, sl- yeah, you do. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, but, in Wisconsin, you can do pretty much anything you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's been the interesting so, uh, thing too that I've that I've found yeah. is the bent isn't nearly as fragile as everybody says it's going to be. Like, and especially since I was mowing it at four tenths of an inch or an eighth of an inch, and it wasn't really in that much worse of shape than mm-hmm. everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, let, let's take this big picture and, and, and drill down. So, like the areas that aren't low cut, right? Like. The rest of the lawn, like, you know, give us a snapshot real quick of where you were, like when you bought the house and you said everything was kind of in a, r- a rough spot to where you are now, like to uh, what steps have you taken? What strategies have you employed? And like, are you happy with where it's at right now? Where is it right now? And are you happy with that? So you can focus time elsewhere or what? what's your, what's your overall outlook on that? Oh, wow. Yeah, so... <laughs> JP, oh yeah. <laughs> JP coming up clutch. Oh, no. And actually, that... Oh, no. So that, so, so that picture is... There's actually gravel underneath that overgrown one. Um, the previous oh, homeowner uh, died in 2012 suddenly in a car accident, we found out. Um, and so that was where he like parked all the cars, basically. And so it just grew up into this. And, the, and this is wow. even... It's looked worse than this at other times. Um, mm. 
and so that's that's a future project that I haven't made it to yet. But yeah, so this is actually kind of interesting if you stay on this one. So on the right of the image is what the whole yard looked like. And then basically yeah. as I started, so I have about, the goal is to get to about 24,000 square feet of turf, and but I didn't want to start with that much. So I picked about five, 6,000 square feet in the back. And that's the, the border between where I stopped treating and where I started treating. So basically that's just, this picture is just one season of just, I killed weeds off and fertilized and that was about it. And that's always been the strategy for the backyard is to leave it as is. Um, and then the front yard to do the, the renovation and yeah, to go from there. Well, okay. There's two ways to look at this picture, right? Uh, on the right, you can file that under, uh, B for bad or F for fucked. Uh, or <laughs> you could say that, Hey, look on the left, look how great my weed treatments and, uh, fertilizer programs working. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I'm going to stay on the left-hand side of the photo. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great work. Looking, looks like, you know, you had a good program. What? So, I mean, yeah, I can see, it's like a little bit of Cleet from Charlie in there. You've got some, man. So, what were you, uh, what were you cleaning this up with here? Clover? Gosh. Um, I've actually had a ton of luck with just um, Spectracide's. I think four way. Okay. So it's two four D, Dicamba, something else, mm-hmm. and Quinclorac. And it does just fine. So I haven't abandoned that ship yet. Um but yeah, that's that's pretty much about it. And then just I think that at this time it would have been a lot of um I think I had like Carbon X, X Green, those types of, of fertilizers, and that was mm-hmm. that was about it basic i like it there's you know no reason to deviate right ray stick to the basics control those control those weeds and push what you got there and that's the encouraging part too is that you know somebody's probably looking at this lawn on the right i mean no seeding no and nothing else right jason like what what you see here on the left is just cleaned up and fertilized correct in terms of weeds and fertilization yeah yep so i I think Mm -hmm. that's something ray that i i see often at least in cool season i don't know what you see in warm season is that People underestimate how much uh, good and healthy turf is actually there. You know, they see a situation like this on the right, and the immediate thing is, oh, let's just nuke it. Let's start over. Let's, you know, let's pull the ripcord. And it's like, well, you know, if you're not in a rush, let's see, right? Let's see what we got. I mean, is it the same in a uh, Hawaii setting? Actually, it's tilted entirely the the different way in that people are not hot to just nuke it and resud for example Uh, especially when especially when i get to talking to them and if i see a situation like this i start to talk people down from the ledge and tell them look it this is fixable in about six months with proper mowing a little bit of weed control and some fertilization, this is entirely recoverable. Uh-huh. To me, a redo is only if I come to the d- determination that there is absolutely no desirable grass present in the area such that should I push the button and kill the weeds, there's nothing left. That's when I would consider, but then 
if I see a lot of desirable grass mixed in with the weeds, a redo or a do-over is kind of like the last thing on my mind. Yeah, I, I, I know, like I said, I know there's some people that feel like they need to pull the ripcord, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think, again, you there, there's usually premature. in these situations. Yeah, there's, there's, there's more steps that I would take. So when was this picture taken too, Jason? I'm just curious. Was this like middle of the season, this end was, of the season? I think this was probably like late season 2019. So basically this would have been okay. the first year that mm-hmm. I – was taking care of my yard from where it started to where it ended. And that the other picture of where it's just like a lot of dirt is basically what I had done Mm -hmm. is the, we moved in in the end of that one. We moved in the end of 2018 and when we moved in, I sprayed weeds. And so that was what was left. (laughs) And from there we, we built, I got really, well, and, and actually there's, there's a lesson to be learned in there for people who are stupid like me. Um, there's a ton of like weed grasses in here of yep. which I couldn't identify and didn't and honestly still really don't know what they all are. Granted, most mm-hmm. of them are gone. Um, so I, I had made all this progress. I got everything looking really good. And I was trying I was looking for recommendations of how to get rid of um, some of these grassy weeds. And, and I think it was actually the, the show that Matt used to do um, where you just uh-huh. took questions for the whole time. And he recommended yep. a couple of active ingredients, one of which was fusillade. And so I, this would have been my like first experience with a commercial grade type label where there's like multiple applications and multiple applications, application rates. And so yep. my dumbass mm. went out there oh, at no. uh, the egg rate, I think, oh, no. or what I found was the egg rate. So it was like two ounces <laughs> per thousand and just, Oh golly. <laughs> she, well, the yeah, good news is, is that the weed, the weed grasses were controlled, and actually most <laughs> right. of the grasses were controlled. So yeah, just about all the uh, grasses were controlled. Well, yeah, and, and you mean, know, uh... <laughs> well, well, Ray, and that's that's the thing is like you know, best laid plans, and I would don't, I mean, I think in that case, like it's you're only a dumbass if you continue down that road. Like if you don't realize that, hey. I probably could have done better here or I could have done something different, you know, and, and don't just subscribe to that sunk cost fallacy and just keep pushing forward because, well, right. I already bought the bottle. I'm going to make another app at that rate and just see what happens. Like I've seen people double yeah. down on those mistakes and it just compounds uh, very, very quickly. So, so that, I mean, that's I a pretty good turnaround though. Smarter. <laughs> yeah. I only got fractionally <laughs> smarter because then I, I remembered I had gone back to the label and it was like a fractional ounce amount. Like, yeah you know, point one, point whatever. And so I go back and I was going to do it again, but just like spot treat a couple areas. And so I go back through the label again. I'm looking, I'm looking, I found a half ounce and I kind of did the same thing again. It wasn't as bad. And I also didn't spray the whole backyard this time. But so we're going to get there. Third mm-hmm. time's going to be the charm if I ever use that again. Yeah, it's oh. uh, it's like Michael Bolton in office space, just putting that decimal point in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. That oh, no town ass clown. Details. Yeah, yeah, Mundane yeah. details. Oh, Damn it. Yeah, that would know what you're talking damn about. Damn it. All of these <laughs> mundane details. I always mess up the mundane details. But uh, with Fusillade, for example, that's an example of something that has multiple uses because I know it as a selective grassy weed killer for turf type tall fescue, fine fescue, and zoysia grass. I also know it as the nuclear option 
when I don't want any grass species alive in a given area. I mean, but there's two sides to it. And it is all what I'm going to call rate dependent. The rate that it's applied at determines what kind of activity it has because four <laughs> ounces per acre, it's a very powerful selective herbicide. Uh, 16 ounces per acre, that is uh, total destruction. And, and Sounds like a healthy everything, Everything's right? gone. And everything's gone. Found out what, 80 <laughs> ounces per acre? <laughs> ah! Oops. That's, that's an oops. Oh, yeah, that's a uh we're gonna we're actually gonna install rocks for a lawn uh, for the next <laughs> mm-hmm. ten years and uh yeah, we'll circle back on the lawn, right? That's 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 how you do that. No. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Bring me up to speed. I heard bent grass, uh Wisconsin, I heard various weed controls, um uh, some grassy weed controls, but I did not hear the part we were leading up to right now. Sixteen ounces per acre. That I don't. I don't know what that is. What? What? What are we spraying at sixteen ounces an acre? Fusillade. That that would Ooh. that would be fusillade. Yeah. 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 Sixteen ounces per fire, acre, baby. Yeah. Sixteen On cool ounces season. Per acre oh yeah, is, you are. Is is when you want nothing alive. I mean, that's uh, sixteen ounces per acre is. That's what I call the soul stealer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know uh, if Ray's going to be you that. You can steal bad. my soul anytime. Jeez. <laughs> so uh, okay, so the these spaces here, right? The the non low cut areas. I mean, where are they now? And is it sort of at some state of equilibrium that you feel comfortable? Like, hey, like I'm good with it, or is there still room to improve? And if so, what are those things? Need to it is so the the backyard is going to be left pretty well alone the stuff that exists and uh that would have been a that would have been an early on picture there as well um here we go oh look okay. at that so that's Looks terrible yeah, so by the, the way i mean it's awful <laughs> no. stop it so Gee, i'm kidding yeah all of the you know the tall stuff in the foreground is going to be left alone for a very long time um <laughs> because what's behind it there um, and obviously every uh, person that keeps grass short knows that the key is to have a hammock on it. But um, yeah, <laughs> basically, I'm going to be expanding that. So there's dirt all in behind what we can see here. And so that's yeah. going to all get seeded in bent grass and just be a, a long, a, just basically expand upon what is my kind of backyard golf practice facility. What direction uh, are we looking here right now? In this photo. We are looking south. Oh Lord. Okay. Mm. So it is south. it is shady. Fortunately, those <laughs> trees are dying ash trees, so they're not very uh they're not very dense in terms of when, so that it's not like a hundred percent shade. When can we have the chipper party? <laughs> we'll bring the beer. Whenever they start, oh, whenever yeah. they fall over. Oh, come on. We'll we'll come up there. We'll we'll like I said, we'll bring the beer, we'll bring the chainsaws. You have uh you have the chipper there waiting for us. And we can we can make pretty quick work of these, I think. You oh, said yeah. they're ash trees? Yes. Uh, Are you treating them for emerald ash borer? I am not. And actually you can see there's a there's a bark free 
uh, limb mm-hmm. up there on there. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're on their way out. I just don't. I probably have you know ten, fifteen, you know twenty plus inch trees back here, and I'm not mm-hmm. looking to spend you know five, ten, however many yeah. thousand dollars it's going to be to pay somebody to cut them down. So I'm just waiting on that. on Mother Nature. I'm just waiting on Mother Nature to help me out. There are no, ways just, to facilitate the felling of the tree. I'll just put that out yeah, there. Just, uh, yeah, next time. We can next talk time, about any, it off air. Yeah, I, I was, I was <laughs> yeah. just going to say the easy way, like forget, exactly. you know, chemicals and things like that. Like, you know, the severe thunderstorm warning flashes on the TV screen. Kids head to the basement. You go grab the chainsaw and notch those son bitches. <laughs> That's what I would do. Honey, get to the basement. There's it's a tornado your... coming. <laughs> Dad, what are you going outside with the chainsaw? Why? Anybody see my two cycle you. oil? <laughs> hey, Inside. I dare you get to the basement. You know, kids move my fifty to one can again. Damn it! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I don't know. I'm I mean, yeah, the insurance. Oil. I don't care. Insure, yeah, insurance oil or insurance adjuster comes, you know, and it's like, why, you know, why are those notches in the tree? Yeah, you know, that's how it was when we moved in. Indians probably put them there when they planted them. <laughs> you should Most see likely. the woodpeckers around here. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's what you got. Yeah, the beaver. That's what you have to do. Yeah, I, I don't know. That that's uh, that's a tough growing environment, no doubt. And I mean, filtered light on bent grass is a very, very challenging concept. Um, when so this picture here, uh, when was this taken? This Month, is fall of twenty one. Fall of twenty one. Okay, okay this is it's fall. probably October. October of twenty one. Green around there. Green looks green looks pretty good. Green and clean. It looks good from here. Once, <laughs> All right. Found it. From from here hides a lot of dirt, because um, it's not thick. Yeah, you're saying okay. right, right. grass. No, so it doesn't uh, sound like bent grass. Come on. It's, All right. I don't know. It sounds like shade grass. I maintain look like it's effing like, dirt to me. It sounds like yeah. It sounds like the, the trees just need to have a little accident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so well, okay, well, can we go back to the oh, real quick while you before you talk, J. Pink? Can you scroll back to the wider angle where we're looking straight south again, please? I just want to look at a couple of things while Jason speaks. There we go. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that the taller stuff did fairly well. So I think in terms of like it's it's doable. I'm sure the shade is making it not an ideal circumstance. But what is okay and helps is those trees stop and then sun will come kind of underneath and get some sunlight Mm -hmm. to the back there. Um, But yeah, certainly not. I'm assuming the, the the what the what I'm picking up from everyone is it's not an ideal condition, but it did pretty well. Okay, so yeah, I mean, let's talk about like how do we manage low cut turf and shade? Let's just let's start there, and then we'll work our way down. That's an and, oxymoron. And managing low cut turf <laughs> and shade. I mean, that it happens all the time on golf courses all over the country. I mean, I'm not I saying everybody's successful. I have to do that too, Matt. I mean, that's that's my life. I mean, what the hell with y'all. How to keep keep shortcut <laughs> I'm grass too lazy. in in partial shade. I mean, that's that's life. Uh, Matt would actually build a shed back here so he could burn it down at a later date. I would to make sure the trees were captured in the in the same fire, of course. 
<laughs> say, there's, a, there's a lot of really good there's a lot of really good places to have a shed fire back here and deal with a couple of these I yeah i was gonna yeah. do such a thing but you know <laughs> i have done a huge number of tree injections across my career and sometimes people pick up diesel fuel when they think they're picking up imamectin benzoate and uh and accidentally inject diesel fuel into a tree <laughs> it's happened it's happened i've never had it happen to me this smells oily mm, yeah. i don't know mm. what that is what <laughs> That is one hell of a surfactant they've got in this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Smells flammable. Only under high compression. (laughs) Gene, that, I mean, uh, you're just, uh, how shall I say, lordy, I I mistook that uh, triclopyr ester for uh, enidocloprid. Whoops. I know. It's listen. <laughs> do you know how many azaleas and rose bushes I've played? I've sprayed with chlorothalonil over the years that somehow ended up covering ten thousand square feet of grass next to it as well. Mm-hmm. It just sometimes you catch a draft of wind and uh, and it just it just happens, you know. JD nines are hey. h- hard to control. I'm just saying. Well, I I told you that that gun that I use for. You know, shrub work. I told you if I swing that, it'll easily just cover about a thousand square feet without much thought. Just swing it opposite of the shrub bed, and thousand square feet of lawn is covered, and it's done just like that. I mean, it don't take much. <laughs> For, forgive Gee. me because I I came in here late and I don't I did I didn't hear everything leading up to it. Um. Let me ask, are, are there are there certain parts of the season where your density is like, this is good, we're rocking and rolling here, I'm content with this, and then parts of the season where you're like, damn it, what happened to my density? You, you, are, are you losing a significant portion of your density during the summer? I did, yeah. So uh, the, the ego was getting real big um, somewhere <laughs> around like June <clears throat> where I was like, hello, friend, I'm a, we'll get along great. Yeah, I am a <laughs> I am a genius and I don't understand why anybody says this is hard and then it got hot and then I didn't have much of a green anymore <laughs> wow you know what Jason that sounds like me because I have kind of the opposite problem where I'm all Mr. All That I'm, I'm mowing low and then we go into December and January. And then, you know what happens to me? I'm kicking myself saying, darn it, Ray. See what happens when you try to show off? The lawn is almost dirt. And that's because I'm mowing low at a time of the year when the grass is not growing. (laughs) And, you know, and, and and I've done that and... Ryan, I've, I've even gotten yeah. into fight fights with uh, some people where, for example, one of the this uh, hotshot lawn bowlers was asking me, "Hey Ray, when's the last time you mowed the green? It's uh, rolling kind of slow." And I told him, "Look at dumbass, it is uh, February, and if I show off and." make like i'm all all hot stuff 
I can kill the grass by mowing it too low. And then Ray killed him with the trident. And it was uh, paging. Everyone cheered. It was amazing. I can hear mm -hmm. it over the loudspeaker now. Paging Dr. Ito. Paging Dr. Ito. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? That's, that's Hang on. You're going to die. I'm going to try it in over here. I got to peel him off real quick. <laughs> I'm sh I just shook the magic eight ball and it says hospice. <laughs> that's Dr. Ito at the bedside right there, boys. Gosh. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. That, that's a great photo. Like, I, I love, I, I, I want to go back and look at that one again, JPEG. I'm going to keep hammering on this. So, like, do we have any of mid, well, okay, so that's a good one. Do you have any midsummer ones that show us the, the density or the lack thereof? Let's talk about this. And Alex, I'm wondering, I mean, is the loss of density due to the leafing out of the trees um, or disease pressure? Or, or Can you comment on that? Yes. I think a yeah. big issue as well was I hate watering. Just in general, mm -hmm. I do not enjoy it. I don't have irrigation. Sure. And so what? how I've managed the rest of my yard is basically watering as little as possible and yes. letting it, you know, basically start to kind of do that. Turn that gray color nature and the take water its in. course yeah, yeah. and and that's course. not oh i learned very quickly that doesn't work when it's shorter so that's one big change that i i know i have to make this coming year is just like flat out changing how i'm watering this section and figure that mm -hmm. out um but i'm i'm sure the shade is not helping because where it gets the the least dense is at the very you know bottom back further left further back left in that picture where it's probably the the most dense in terms of the shade that it gets because out at the top we'll get sun in the middle of the day down here we'll actually get sun at parts of the day because it comes under the trees and there's that <clears throat> excuse me there's that kind of strip across the middle that's pretty much always filtered so you're in wisconsin and i'm i'm just gonna guess madison uh and it, it seems like do, tell me, uh, roughly 34, 35 inches of rain a year, somewhere around there is what is what you're getting? That would have been normal. I think this year we got maybe 15, 20. Oh, Lord of mercy. Somebody oh. put up the, the dome over my house this year where, like, every storm <laughs> split, every rain shower, like, just managed to just miss. You know, I had my, you know, friends from work. They're like, man, it's raining here. Like, nope, not here. So it, it barely rained. Uh, yeah, which also that makes didn't help. it extremely difficult. I was gonna say, even even at thirty five inches a year, like that, you, you're on the cusp there of getting difficult, right? Um, it can it can start to get a little little sideways on you. I would say at forty five inches a year, for the most part, through the duration of the season, you're gonna be good, right? Like you, you know, we typically get forty five to fifty inches of rain a year here. Very seldom do would I ever need to water grass here. If I'm at a hundred thousandths of an inch on bent grass, you know, then maybe, yeah, I could see where I gotta I gotta be have a little bit more control over my watering schedule. At thirty five, you know, yeah, you're you're starting to get more complex there. You're you're gonna need to make up on some of those on those tough weeks, especially, you know, during the hot part of the year. At fifteen, it's practically impossible to maintain peak performance 
It's, it, it is. I mean, just at that point, you know, yeah. it's, it's impossible to, to maintain density at that kind of rainfall. So that, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense. I got to ask though, in Wisconsin, what is your disease pressure like? I'm just curious. Um, I, it, where I am for whatever reason, it's awful. And the biggest thing for, for me, and I've seen it killed off my, my neighbor's yard because it was new construction when it came in as well, um, is rust. Like we have, Oh, no kidding. Like, Oh. I had, I missed a, I missed a, basically I went to switch to liquid disease prevention uh, at the same time that my sprayer stopped working. Um, and I didn't want to buy granular on top of what I had already purchased. So I went like two months without treating for disease and my Honda was competing with the Jacobson for most orange mower. Uh, that's really bad. You, you, you know, so, bad. you know, people, there's the, there's the fleet. Where I am in the in the transition zone, right? We we get rust from time to time, and it's seldom, super super seldom, do you see it actually cause any problems? And you hear about it in textbook scenarios, right? Of rust becoming so bad that it actually creates massive problems, right? And it's I've never had to experience that before, so it's interesting that up there in your area, you're the one that has to deal with it that I hear about in the textbooks that I don't have to experience. Thank goodness I have my own enough issues here most of them psychological that i have to deal with but i've got plenty enough problems i don't need to add compounded issues with with rust on top of that but yeah and then i think the i never remember any of the disease names but the hourglass one dollar spot dollar spot dollar spot, okay. dollar spot. yeah dollar i would spot. say uh, that's what i think when i think wisconsin i think i think dollar spot in ohio yep. and when i think of ohio i think a dollar spot too because Ohio is a terrible what? state. Well, when I think about uh, that's where you're at, but yeah. <laughs> when I think about shortcut grass, grass in the Midwest, the uh, first thing that comes to mind for me is dollar spot, and the rust though is kind of new on me. The rust is new new for me because in my area. I never, almost never see rust on grass. I do get a lot of dollar spot, and I get other pathogens. But uh, dollar spot is largely my sign that I've fallen behind on my fertilization because that is the one disease that if dollar spot is, my, is a problem, I start to sink. Is the turf getting enough nitrogen, iron, and potassium? That's that's what that's where my head goes. Okay. Okay. A little different right, want... cool season in the Midwest, though, because I have I've looked at a lot of uh, of lawn care guys in the Midwest that run pretty uh, what I would consider um, strong fertilization programs that still deal with dollar spot like I deal with brown patch here in the in the southeast on cool season grass so I wonder in the midwest is it one of the things where it's not a matter of if you get it it's a matter of when you get it and how you react to it like basically disease pressure is just so high that unless you know you can you can dial in your fertility highly accurately and still face significant dollar spot pressure i i'm asking that as a question i guess ryan would you agree with that or am i just blowing smoke out of my ass you're so, so if, if i understand the question correctly you're saying that 
from a, a a cultural practice standpoint, if I do everything right culturally, am I still at risk of getting dollar spot? If yes. that's the question, the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, and really, like, even in Wisconsin, you're going to have two of those main seasons, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, like, here in Ohio, that's going to be, eh, like, beginning-ish of May, right up and through, like, the first week or so of June, right? Like, that's peak time, right? Or we're, like, and it's- you know, upwards of, you know, around, you know, upper 70s to low to mid-80s during the day, low 60s at night, or, mid, or excuse me, mid-60s at night, and especially after a rainfall, right? Like, that'll juice that so stuff humid. up and really get it going. Yep. And that'll, so... That'll kick it off. That'll kick, that'll it, kick off. it off. <laughs> that'll kick it off, and you usually see it, like, you know, the the ways, you know, that you use to scout it, right, is, you know, you got to go out and lock, walk the lawn in the morning, make sure that what you're seeing is actually the mycelium and not spider mite webs, things like that. Uh and during that time, right, so there's always these trade-offs, right? So, like, do we pump the grass full of nitrogen in May to overcome dollar spot only to be, you know, riddled with, say, like, brown patch or something like that coming back on the back end or pythium, something like that that's going to favor a more succulent plant going into summertime. So it's a very tight rope to walk. I mean, there's easy buttons yeah. as far as fungicides out there now. I mean, so mm-hmm. it is the, the number one thing, though, is just not overusing them, right? So... If you look at it, so what, tell me, so let's talk about diseases. I really want to get into the shade thing though. Like not right now. I'll wait. (laughs) We're in the foreplay right now. I'm going to wait for the main event (laughs) until everybody's good and lubed up here. All right. So, uh, the fungicide piece. So what you said, you switched over to a liquid fungicide. What are you now using and when are you using it? Um, so I started the year off with. Headway, which is, I mean, I don't have to explain it to you. You know what it is. Um, and then I went yep. to Eagle 20 EW. Okay. And then okay. that's what I have now. And then that was, that's actually a good segue to, to talk a little bit about rotation. Cause obviously to swallow the pills of buying those bottles to have on hand to rotate mm-hmm. is, is a tough one with some of the price tags on those things. So maybe yeah. the, a, 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 uh, best, best strategy for someone who's, trying to not spend all of the money on earth, uh, but to still be able to responsive, I mean, responsibly rotate something or, or, or at, when, when is using the same product over and over and over and over again, becoming a problem. Like how long is that window? <laughs> it's unknown. It could be one application. It could be a hundred thousand applications. It's, it's purely okay. at the chance of mutations taking place and, you know, okay. for it to be able to pass on. So, I mean, I, th- I think about it like like Banner Max, right? When Banner Max came out of the market for ten years, Banner Max was the pinnacle of fungicides that you could reach for, which is propiconazole, uh, you know, one of the actives okay. in, in Headway. That was yeah, the I was going to say if you and, if you're like just listing names, I have no idea what you're talking about. So yeah, so uh, and, and it was <laughs> and that was that was the original uh, name brand when it came on the turf market, right? So it was okay. Banner Max, Banner Max everywhere you went, it was Banner Max and it was so effective. I mean, you know, you went and you sprayed along with Banner Max, regardless of the disease, it felt like, you know, you, you cleaned it up and it was just a beautiful application and you felt like Superman every time you went and sprayed it. Well, somewhere in that eight to 10 year range after it came out, pretty much consistently, everything I sprayed it on, it was no longer all that effective to the point where it is now where I would consider it 
you know, if we gave it a four, uh, you know, a potential of four stars, I would rate on just about most things you spray propiconazole for. I would rate it at about two stars, maybe three stars for uh, a dollar spot. But I don't have to deal with a lot of dollar spots. I very not by rarely itself. see it here. Not by itself. Not by itself. Not by itself. Wouldn't even give it three stars the... by itself. No, not by itself. Because... No, not by itself. Okay. No. Back and, to two. And in fact, you know that that entire class of fungicide for me that is that always needs a wingman product, and I always keep in mind that there's certain collateral effects that are associated with uh, the older fungicides in that class, like uh, propiconazole. And I'm also familiar with uh, this other old uh, fungicide in that class known as uh, triadimophon. I know it as Belaton or Armada. Mm -hmm. Or Armada. Right. Right. So with... But then... Mm -hmm. But then the thing with these older fungicides is that because they were cheap or relatively economical to apply over large areas, that is where your chance of forcing natural selection and and mutation is highest because you'd have these Gulf supers just crop dusting their golf course, you know, wall to wall with propiconazole or, or Bailiton because it was relatively inexpensive. It was not the kind of thing that would be limited. So I keep that in mind because that lack of limitation is also what makes a fungicide more prone to a disease being resistant to it. What were you going to say to me? Selection pressure. I mean, uh, so yeah, I, I, a, a, f- a few things on that is the in this case, it's re- I don't really see it being an issue, but the where the the DMI, so again, the propiconazole, uh, the Balaton, those those types of products where they really Isn't shine. Is Michael Butnil? Is Michael Butnil? A it guy? is Eagle Michael Butnil yeah. Eagle Twenty, and that's what I was going to say. That's a DMI, right? So it's a DMI yeah. as well. They. Uh, there's a few things to understand here. Number one, what they're good at. They're good at uh, like rhizoctonia, like patch diseases down in the soil, right? So soilborne uh, deals and also um, summer patch, right? So same thing, like if you, these are meant to be like watered in and used for those soilborne pathogens mainly. You can still use them. I mean, still as a tank partner will do really, really well. I, you know, as a preventative spray, um, with a contact which you really can't run on residential so that doesn't matter uh they're great they're great on golf course turf but um maybe we need to like uh you know parcel out your land jason and set up an llc for your golf course portion right so you can run that all through the business and then that way it'll it'll be on label but jason if you noticed there's there has been no talk of rotation whatsoever but what you okay, did yep. here was combining of AIs. Well, so and the ro- go, go ahead. The ro- go ahead. I was going to say the rotation piece. Like, I think it's important to understand what you're using, but it, it, it's also something too. Like, 
you're you're chasing a ghost it's in some cases right like meaning you're 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 making a uh fungicide plan out of fear of what might happen as opposed to what is actually happening in terms of pathogen activity on your grass right you're gonna know now it, it's gonna suck because you know it, you know seen you know i've seen this happen before too you know uh there's nothing worse than going out and making a you know, two or three or four thousand dollar application on the golf course, and then realizing, oh, uh, nothing's happening. Why? Well, looks like uh, we might be resistant in some areas, right? And sure enough, you send it off to the lab, and it verifies, it checks out. Yep, your isolates tell us that you're resistant, mm-hmm. right? So um, that piece I wouldn't be so concerned with. So here, would be, if a, a couple of things, this would be sort of my flow chart for you is. Number one, make sure that you can ID the disease that is giving you the most trouble, if it is, in fact, dollar spot, right? Pretty easy to ID dollar spot, both from the signs that you see and then also, uh, you know, lesions on the turf, that sort of thing. So get yourself schooled up on that. You've got a textbook that I think has some information about that that would be pretty good to refer back to. Um, Indeed, appreciate that recommendation. Yep, yep. And then if you can ID it, then I would select the chemical that is going to best help you work against that, right? So um, there are a couple of chemicals out there specifically for long-term dollar spot control that would be good to spray, you know, in the fall and in the spring um, particularly. Uh, a couple other things too. Let's just say it is dollar spot, right? A couple other things you can do is use that if you have that Eagle 20, uh, or you have, yeah, your headway's fine. I mean, that's that's an okay product. You're wasting a little bit with the azoxystrobin because there's really not a whole lot of benefit to it. But the point being is that uh, let's just start from the beginning of the season and work our way through, right? So early season, after you do like your second or third, what we call true mowing. So not the charity mow to knock the, you know, the dead tissue off and all that kind of stuff, but it's actively growing and you've done your second or third mowing. At that point, go ahead and plug yourself in with doing your first step, and that is to knock down your inoculum that's out there, your current stuff that's overwintering. J-Pink, I'm being summoned. I'll be right back, and we'll continue this part of the discussion. So Do it. So in the, the combination of AIs, and I'll th- throw this out there, and this is one of the statistics that I always found interesting, is um, you are 80, what is it, 83 times less likely to develop resistance by using two and a half MOAs, modes of action, right? And by mode of action, you know, one would be like a DMI, right? Um, another would be uh, a, a strobilurin, you know, like an azoxystrobin. Now, you know, specifically for uh, a dollar spot, it's a little different because strobilurins can actually increase uh, instances of dollar spot, well, specifically azoxystrobin. So I personally, if I was going after dollar spot, I would never go the headway route just because you have the potential to inflame it with the inclusion of the azoxystrobin in the, in the headway. Now, that that being said, you're not hearing a lot about rotation. What you are hearing these people talk about, these guys talk about is is you know it's a it's a tank mix kicker, right? Meaning I'm running multiple AIs in the tank to have a synergistic effect. And why that is typically originally resistance was was talked about as as rotating uh, modes of action. More so now, kind of the later research that's 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 coming to the forefront is it's it's combining modes of action and the reason being is that when you're targeting a disease if you're using multiple modes of action 
that target that disease, you are attacking that disease from different sites, right? So we'll say DMIs attack at site one. Uh, 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 Strobilurns attack at site two. So if you combine those two, now you're hitting at site one and site two. Therefore, in order for the disease to mutate, to become resistant, it would have to rotate, it would have to mutate at two different sites. It would have to mutate at site one and at site two. Statistically speaking, it's going to be difficult for it to do that at one time, right? You know, to have those two mutations, you, you know, the, the, the chances luck becomes more of a factor there than, than the actual application you're making. And that's why they're saying at two and a half or ultimately at three modes of action, two being you're starting to get into the, into the realm of sufficiency, three being the realm of ideal. As you get there, statistically speaking, of achieving three mutations from uh, an application is next to impossible, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's why you hear more now about combining modes of actions than you are necessarily hearing about rotation because still, even if you are rotating, there is that chance, on the, albeit small, for that mutation to take place on a single application, especially if there's a history in your area or surrounding area where, you know, for instance, it could be something simple, right? You know, if you have someone come mow your yard because you're out of town and they mow, you know, 100,000 acres or whatever, and 30,000 of those acres they maintain have been treated with microbutanil for, you know, 10 years or whatever to control whatever diseases they see out there that gets carried on to the mower, makes its way over to your property. Now it's there. You treat with microbutanil. The mutation's already there. And now you're dealing with it, right? Versus even if it is resistant to microbutanil, if you're attacking it with three modes of action, you still have two different modes of action, two different sites you're attacking the disease at, therefore still able to eliminate it. And uh, you're not having to worry about that mutation that's already occurred within that plant. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. And I, and I think, okay. Yes. So it does. And I think too, is kind of resistance is coming from it being in contact and surviving too. Correct. So if you're bringing in yeah. multiple, you're more likely to eliminate and thus not allow is that kind of, am okay. I correct there? Is that not? You're correct. And there's yep. like a third piece of this. And this is something that I kind of harp on is that when somebody decides to apply a side, be it a fungicide, an insecticide, or a herbicide, what I personally harp on is I want to make sure that whatever I am applying is applied in such a way that that application stands the best chance of being efficacious and working. I mean, which is why I say coverage is king when spraying a fungicide, for example, because if I leave places in that turf area or spots on that grass where the fungus or the disease is exposed to a less than lethal dose of the product, that can be where my resistance originates versus if I take an a no prisoners approach uh, to making the application. So this is something that I feel is not really talked about enough. People think that it is enough to put the product out there, but we really need to go 
one step further and make sure that the product is applied in such a way that you get the maximal efficacy out of that product. Yep. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, that's just my take on it. And that's just something that I've seen over the years. And of course, it is something that has been hammered into me because I literally come from a time when we didn't have a lot of the modern fungicides. And the difference between a modern fungicide and, say, a pre-1990 fungicide, for example, is that your post-1990 fungicides tend to be what's called systemic fungicides. In other words, you apply them and they'll move, for example, from the top of the leaf to the bottom of the, to the underside of the leaf. Or they'll move from older leaf back up into the new shoots. The fungicides that I had, you know, in another time, they were dependent on completely coating the grass and forming a barrier against infection, a physical barrier. And so if somebody made a spotty application with one of those older products, their results would probably be disappointing. Okay. But so then, then at the wait. same time, so then at the same time, though, with these modern systemic fungicides, making spotty applications puts a lot of pressure on that product in terms of it has to move from where it's applied to the parts of the turf that aren't covered. So would you, would you recommend higher, or is the, the recommendation that I'm reading between the lines like a higher carrier volume for these types of things or, not or just making sure that it's done better? No, higher carrier volume is, okay. is one thing. Higher carrier volume, uh, higher spraying pressure. Uh, in other words, what may pass for making an application for weed control doesn't always give you the best results when you're trying to make a fungicide application. Because I know personally, my application parameters change when I'm trying to apply fungicides versus when I'm applying a selective herbicide. It totally changes where, where, and conversely, I wouldn't apply a herbicide the same way I apply a fungicide because the specific issue with the herbicide becomes off-target movement of that spray application. What are the consequences of that happening versus if, say, a little bit of fungicide drifts into the flower bed, no big deal, right? Not a problem. But if herbicides were to move in that manner, big problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate here. Um, I think that is more important of fungicides of the past. But, you know, Ray is, uh, is Gen X and, you know, I'm a millennial, so I have to do things differently. And, <laughs> you know, so I, I did, you know, I spent years using extremely low carrier volume with with no problem 
once I got my AIs dialed in. Um, now, and, and that that was the big trick for me, right? When I started watching uh, Propaganda's All Fail, because when I got started, it was you know Eagle Twenty or uh, Bailaton or uh, or Banner Max, right? And once once you started seeing those fail, right? It was it's you know what direction do you go? How do you go about this? And that's you know you you start learning and combining different things and looking for synergies between them and. You know, I see this active ingredient has a four-star rating. I see this active ingredient has a two-star rating. Uh, but I know it used to have a four-star rating. If I combine those two, you know, what's my output going to be? And then, you know, obviously playing with what would be considered, you know, a, a less optimal application technique like running low volume uh, or low pressure, um, but still having the, uh, the, the the correct AIs in place. Then all of a sudden, you know, I'm back to getting, 99 to 100% control and you know very pleased with my application and uh or the, the result I'm getting from the application. Now, the other part of that too is coverage, right? You can't you can't go miss a 3-foot swath in the middle of the lawn and and you know consider that that good coverage, right? So there right. is still technique that goes into it and um you know you have to factor in the human error and that's why I prefer to do things on machines is one I'm a fat lazy ass but two because Machines make way less mistakes than I do because I don't have the machines don't have the fatigue factor that I do. And when I get tired at the end of the day, I make mistakes. My walking pace changes, you know, my everything about what I do changes. And if I'm not making those adjustments in real time throughout the day, I may be misapplying or way over applying by the end of the day. And I'll give you an example when, you know, we, we track it's, you know, professionally you, you attract, you know, basically what you're applying per property. Right. And you'll come up to a 5,000 square foot lawn. And, you know, typically this would take me if I'm applying two gallons per thousand square feet, then I know this is going to be 10 gallons of my diluted solution mix that I'm going to be applying to this lawn. And then all of a sudden, you know, it takes you 18 gallons and you're like, boy, what in the hell happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened is, is that this is the 22nd yard. I've pulled 300 foot of hose on and I'm exhausted and I'm walking significantly slower. And so I just smashed the hell out of this lawn and uh, for no real reason other than, you know, the human fatigue factor. So it, okay. the importance of coverage is still there. I think the emphasis on that mm -hmm. is absolutely phenomenal. I think you can play with lower volumes or, uh, or, or lower pressures and still have efficacy. but it's dialing in the correct AIs. Now you asked how to dial in the correct AIs without spending all the money. And I <laughs> yeah. don't know how to answer that question because it just fungicides in particular. And, and it, I think this is just a bit of the state of uh, the pesticide, you know, the, if it ends in a side, the pesticide industry in general is um, if it works, and everybody know knows it works. The producers of it know it works. The users of it know it works. It's going to be expensive, right? And we look at right. some of the best products we have on the market, right? And and these are things you know you could uh, you could SDHI fungicides, right? Extremely effective, especially when you add in additional tank mix companions with it. You know, it's it's basically a foolproof type of program if you're running an SDHI with, uh, with a DMI and going after dollar spot. Right. I mean, it's just, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to have a flawless application of that, but actually you're also going to need to spend a kidney to get it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's you're, you're gonna you're gonna be looking at big money because uh, believe it or not, uh, I actually realized that Matt, ever since Mankozeb and Chlorothalonil got taken away from the residential turf market, I realized that I'm literally making three to four applications of an SDHI-based fungicide per year. And let me explain doing... why I am so angry about chlorothalonil. Chlorothalonil is also known as daconil, um, and mancozeb is what's known as four. Um, these were contact-ish, contact fungicides that uh, uh, have been pulled from the residential market. Uh, you're, on, you're on mute. Uh, uh, I can't hear you. What were you, what were you cutting in there with? No, I was just saying that they're they're still out there. You can spray them if you uh, are in a golf course. If you or if you overshoot field. your azaleas, you know, then absolutely you can still spray it. But um, I, I just I, I just legally. had this conversation with somebody today about how and like no no crap like uh, seven hours ago I had this conversation about how uh, reckless. I was back in the day in my early tw- late teens, early twenties. I've probably mixed up literally tons, and I that is no joke. Tons of dry flowable dacanol in my day with zero PPE. Thousands awful, of awful pounds. decisions. Thousands yeah, of yeah. pounds. Awful life decisions. But in terms of of efficacy and why it's 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 difficult to see that product come off the market is. You know, I was talking about attacking sites earlier by combining modes of actions. What's spectacular about chlorothalonil is that it attacks disease at so many different sites of the of the pathogen or the disease, whatever you know, whatever it is you're you're going after. So you're attacking so many at one time. So we're talking about hundreds here, right? We're just trying to get three modes of action down to attack, attack at three, and we're talking about hundreds out of chlorothalonil. So the potential for disease to become resistant to chlorothalonil or daconil is effectively zero. I mean, it would just be, it would take literally the hand of God to say, you know what, screw your use of daconil. I'm going to take away all the fun you've had with it and zap it away. So actually it would, it would, it would just take chemistry and the periodic table falling apart, right? Because what is chlorothalonil <laughs> yes. based on? Chlorine, right? Chlorine does a pretty good job of killing shit. Well, and similarly, Mancozeb, because in yes. my time, okay, Ryan knows about my love of Mancozeb and loves it. Back in the, yeah, back in the day, typical fungicide application for turf grass was Mancozeb plus Eliton, for example, or Mancozeb plus. Cleary 3336, which is thiophanate methyl, another product that does get use for dollar spot, for example. But incidence of resistance is rather high with dollar spot and thiophanate methyl. So, having said that, I don't often tell people to. Go out there with thiophanic methyl if they have dollar spot because it may turn into a very rude surprise if 
they happen to have resistant dollar spot. And the reason why I know resistant dollar spot is a thing is because I know the Gulf people love Theophany missile because it works so well. Right, Ryan? It just works. Yeah, I mean. Back, back in the days. Cleary 3336, or I'm going to show my age because I remember Theophany missile as a product called Topsin M. But that's so 1990s. <laughs> If we can, and uh, I'm definitely not a fungicide master, and that's why I'm going to ask for help with these guys. Let's name products with different modes of actions that are labeled for residential turf, because that is going to be the kicker here. Oh, uh, here. And we'll, just, do, we'll do dollar spot. Oh. So we've got DMIs, which are going to be propiconazole, um, tebuconazole, which I don't think is labeled for residential turf. not labeled turf. for lawn. Nope. Nope. Not, um, allowed, for, not allowed for residential lawns. I'm Bailaton. Is Bailaton link. still labeled for residential? Yes. Yes. Still is. Bailaton's Bailaton gone away, still... though. Bailaton's gone as of this year. Whenever they run out of stock, it's done. If Proteone, mm-hmm. is, that, uh, is that labeled no. for residential? No, no. absolutely not. Iperdione, Iperdione no. is not. Iperdione, no. What uh, is allowed? Thiophanate oh. methyl is a different mode of action than a DMI, correct? Correct. And that would be your Cleary 3336. So in terms of of building an affordable tank mix here, I'm trying to throw some options out there for you to try. I'm I'm trying. Put this link out there. And Jay Pink, if you want to roll, put it up uh, on on the screen here, and then we can roll through it. And then here we go. So good old Joe Rimmelspock and Todd Hicks, plant pathologist over at Ohio State. Go Bucks, by the way. Shitty state, Matt, but it's a great football team. Kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I don't care about the Bengals. Fuck them. I know. I, was just, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really pay attention. How about the Titans? How the Titans do? Good question. I don't watch pro Whoa. football. Uh, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about my Vols either. So, this is a That's beautiful right. chart. North Carolina State has a good one, too, by the way. If you type yep, in yep, NC yep, State, yep. Uh, a dollar spot, they, they have one similar to this. So. Very good. Here we can see a list yeah, of the, things that have high efficacy ratings on it. Um, and I I want to make a point here, though. If you look, and this is not necessarily something you can always go down the line and look at, but you see propiconazole and then under Trinity, which is triticonazole, and then you see Turney, metconazole, uh, uh, triticonazole. Those are all, if it ends in a zole like that, that's typically a DMI. That's going to be the same thing as propiconazole mm. in, in effect, right? Um, except Michlobutanil is one of the outliers here that is also as, as well as Bailaton is also DMI. So that takes up a large portion of that list as far as DMI fungicides. So you can choose one of those as one of your mode of actions of targeting your dollar spot. As far as a second kicker, uh, you've got Cleary's 3336 as an option. Um, is Kabuto labeled for residential? I don't think it is. Yes, I don't think it yes, is. it is. It is. Uh, it is. It is. Kabuto okay. is, is. is allowed. Not cheap. Yeah, Kabuto is a good, not cheap. Uh, Galista is another one, and then you see this. Not cheap. Yeah, Fluxapyra. That that exemplar. Zim, uh, exemplar. 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 Super yeah. not cheap. I, no, I know that as part A. Of a 
pre-mixed, pre-mixed fungicide known as Lexicon, that that mat is one of the products that is in my program period in that I am going to be making an application of Lexicon during the year when needed. And Lexicon happens to cover Dollar Spot, Rust, uh, Brown Patch, and your leaf spotting diseases rather well. But here's where it gets bad. An acre worth costs about $400, four hundred fifty, five hundred dollars Oh, five. Yeah, it's a, it's a little, it's a, it's a tick over 500 a, this year on the Lexicon. Yeah. So, yeah, but about, here's, here's, yeah, here's what I would say, Jason. This, uh, this is how I was uh, trying to boil it down is if, if that is a major pain point for you, I would buy, um, the, the ones I would look at here specifically are going to be uh, Exemplar and then probably uh, 10 points on there. Just trying to remember what is labeled here. Like if you sprayed Exemplar and uh, Propiconazole together or even your Mycobutanol, that's going to be a pretty strong combo in mm-hmm. spring and fall. Mm-hmm. I would feel very confident in that. So, you know, for the Exemplar... I think you can find it online. I see it here on Pestrong. It's sold out. But if you go up to like Randers up there, um, the Curve Supply House, they'll have it. They should be able to sell you a single uh, one-acre pack, right? And then I mean, you're living on that for a while, right? Yep. You might have kids driving <clears throat> by the time that that uh, <laughs> runs out. By the time you so, use that up. By the that, time you use that up, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, and that, that I, was going to be the other question, too, is... And yeah, a lot of this stuff gets a lot cheaper, you know, when you look at it as at a you know per one thousand basis. But it, it, what's yeah. like shelf life on something like this? So basically, I can kind of piece together. Okay, I want to look at the disease that I have and that I'm dealing with. I want to pick at least two, ideally three, groups of fungicides that treat that. Um, but like, and, and then I have to buy it in whatever volume it's available in, or try to split it with other people if that's an option that's out yeah. there. But like how how long is something like that going to last under, you know, basement and garage storage conditions? Don't store it in your is garage. That, is, that, is that uh temperature regulated? Yeah, I was gonna say in your basement. Not. I wouldn't. So okay, okay. In in your basement, Jason, it's like sixty. Yeah. Not freezing. Not freezing, but in your basement, a product like that can last for, I estimate years it can last a while five six years i mean it's uh, easy yeah i would have no qualms about that so i think that's uh that's well within your wheelhouse i would be looking at again one fungicide that is uh gonna take care of that main issue that you have right and then deal with the others as they come right so you know your your headway if you still have that save that right because uh propiconazole in particular is not very strong on rust but it's oxystrobin which is the other component of that pretty strong like if you're gonna spray a fungicide on rust that's what i'd use so mm-hmm. uh not a bad thing to have in the barn so to speak right, right? have it sitting there and yeah i think 
I think you try and go from there on the uh, on the fungicide piece. I think you use up what you've got when it's time to flip over uh, to a new DMI. You know, maybe back away from Michael Butinol a little bit. But I think in that time frame, in terms of targeting an application, right, I would be in your neck of the woods. You know, probably, um, you know, something like this. So, uh, you know, go out with um, your Michael Butinol, or if you've got, and I think you said Headway's the only other one you have right now, correct? Well, I, 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 I price myself out of Headway. I, I need like four bags of it, and I'm just not doing that anymore. Oh, okay. That was the grand. You were using no, Headway G. No, yeah. Headway G. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Roll your own. Roll your own. <laughs> roll, yeah, roll, roll your, your own, own and spray it. And spray it. Okay. Because Ryan has a very dirty joke about granular fungicides. <laughs> it's not dirty. It's not a joke. It's, it's, not a jo- it's, it's, dead, it's dead serious. <laughs> it's dead serious, dead though. Dead serious. But, but similarly... Okay, that goes into that whole piece about coverage and efficacy of the application because now you think when that granule rolls off the turf grass and hits the ground rather than sticking to the leaves where your disease is, what is that doing or not doing? Versus if you go out there and you spray your stuff because in all of my years working on turf grass, I have never applied a granular fungicide. I've never done it. I might have done a granular insecticide for things like grubs, etc. But the I guess the line that I haven't crossed would be throwing a granular fungicide for a disease that is attacking the leaves and the shoots of the turf grass. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, the only use case I could ever see or justify for a granular fungicide would be uh, like if you were doing a new grow in on seed and you used like granular uh, pythium presentation. So subdue something like that to where. Subdue G, yeah. Subdue Mm -hmm. G, yep. Something like that to where. You can't take a sprayer across it. You can barely get a spreader across it, and you're just trying to help out. So, okay, so, you know, ideal world, right, uh, if you can do nothing else, just make two apps. Make a, a spring app right around Mother's Day with the, uh, you know, if you go with the exemplar and then your Michael Butinol. You know, you have a DMI in there, right, and then you've got an SDHI. That's the that's the class of chemistry that exemplar falls into, okay? Yep. So if you can do that and then repeat that, Probably in your neck of the woods, right around uh, you know a week on either side of Labor Day, probably, and then coast that out, right? If you want to do something else in terms of, I don't know, if your snow mold pressure is very high, especially with that south-facing tree shade issue, longer, you know, in the green area, something like that, you can maybe kind of you know figure out something for um, snow mold, and we can talk about that, but. I think you just attack the dollar spot piece. And then the other thing, too, is, again, um, from a cultural management standpoint, best thing you can do is, you know, spoon-feeding approach on your nitrogen, right? You don't want to have flushes of growth, right, for a variety of reasons. So if you can be disciplined with your N, right, and we know that dollar spot incidence goes down uh, somewhere in the order of, like, 10 to 25% 
when you have leaf tissue concentrations, right? So like of nitrogen above four and a half percent. That's sort of a critical value. So the textbook value is like six percent. So if we took grass clippings out of your bucket on your GM one thousand, we dried them down and we measured how much nitrogen is actually actually in that leaf. If you're low, you're going to be like three and a half to four. If you're four to four and a half, yeah, you're okay. And four and a half and above, you've got you know plenty of nitrogen in there, and that's going to help grow through most of the pathogen issues that you're going to face in terms of dollar spot. So think about that piece about how the nitrogen layers in there. Um, the other the other last thing I'll say, especially with the shade thing, is during those periods, right when you know you have um, you know ideal conditions from a weather standpoint. Uh, regardless of whether you're protected with your fungicide or not, the number one thing, right, that influences dollar spot is the leaf wetness period. And what I mean by that is the longer that dew sits on that grass, the more propensity you're going to have for dollar spot. Part of the reason for that is um, basically the plant, you know, when we have dew or getation water, right, we call that verdure. Verdure is a bunch of sugary exudates that comes out of the plant, right? It's not just like tap water that comes out of the sink right that's not what's that's not what's sitting on the grass in the morning right so the you get these fungi right that'll feed in that that type of condition right and the longer that leaf is wet the more propensity you have to have dollar spot incidents so real simple thing you can do i saw the hose that you had sitting over there take that hose put it in the middle of the green and just do yourself a little circle knock all the dew off take a backpack blower out there blow the dew off you don't have to get every last little bit of it off but the sooner you can get it to dry, the better off you'll be. The thing, again, that's working against you is all that shade, right, and that filtered light, and that's going to be a concern, right, that it's going to lay wet longer and increase that incidence. So, again, from a cultural standpoint, number one thing, shade or, uh, you know, dew management. Number two is going to be the fertility. Just, if you can, bump it along, and we'll talk about a little bit about the fertility piece with the shade here in a second. And then, lastly, you know, get yourself some badass fungicide, right? You know, yep. get that ego out. Like, hey, listen, guys, bought some exemplar today. Sorry, Jason, what's that? Uh, exemplar. Uh, what's that? Never mind. All right. Yeah. <laughs> never never listen, mind, yeah. Or When you find yourself canceling vacations so you can go with your backyard <laughs> green, you have entered the turf grass management fraternity. Just saying. Yeah. So there yeah. is an upside to this as you hate yourself at six o'clock in the morning <laughs> on a Sunday when you're still yeah. hungover or perhaps you haven't even gone to bed from the night before. We don't do that anymore, right? We're grown up. So maybe that won't be the case anymore. But uh, you when know. you get out there, listen, Demay, that was only that one time in Louisville. So it There's doesn't that. count. One time. Uh, I, I, I hear <laughs> that one time. Yeah, one time, that one time yeah. in Louisville. Yeah, and but, have good wood. But no, I, yeah, it, I would agree. It is annoying as hell, but that arguably is going to be up there in terms of efficacy and as part of your disease management program. Like you may stave off yeah. having to make that first or second application just purely by looking. Isn't there research out there that shows that that gives like a a hard number? as far as uh, uh, either delay of onset or uh, decreased severity of uh, dollar spot pressure just by, by wicking dew in the morning? Yeah, it's uh, 2000... It sold that? No, it's it's before that. It was 2006-07. Uh, USGA funded it. I'll pull it up. I did... Uh, 
I'll send you. I'll do a couple things. I'll send this to you, Jason, and you can check it out. A whole. I'm not a dollar spot guy because seriously, like I see it, I've seen it maybe thirty times in ten years. You know, just very, 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 very seldom do I see it. And typically, it's on it's on a new line that I pick up, and then once again here, you know, just different growth conditions, much much hotter here than what you have to deal with, and. Uh, in in Wisconsin, so that's not normally the disease, the disease pressure I have to face. So it's re- it's really interesting. It's an interesting fungi. I mean, uh, there's a, listen. We could nerd out even further. Like it was classified um, in one family, one genus and species for the longest time, and then uh, it was like twelve, thirteen years ago. Somebody said, "Hey, actually, it's not uh, a sclerotinia uh, in that in that genus, right?" And they sought to reclassify it and actually found out that there's really two different types of dollar spots. And Matt, there is northern dollar spot and there's summer dollar spot. And forgive me for not remembering the uh, the Latin names on those, but the really, really not talented. <laughs> Sorry. There's a really, really talented. Uh... The Catholics know Latin. Are you and Linnaeus bros? <laughs> anyway. Uh, talented plant pathologist. She was from Rutgers, and I think she now works for Syngenta, actually. But they, they actually classify those into two different genus and species, and they kind of they they affect plants differently, actually. So it's pretty interesting. But that's my nerd out time on Dollar Spot. Last thing, uh, I'll tell you. The last thing, one of the reasons it is it is so destructive, right? Is that Ray? It when it gets in the plant, right? It destroys the xylem tissue, right? So you got. Vascular tissues and plants. Jason, you remember uh, plant biology from high school? Barely. Your two, your two major, your two major vascular tissues and plants: the xylem and the phloem. I knew you were going to say phloem. I knew it. So, xylem's water, phloem's food. So it destroys the xylem, so it can't pass water up and down, you know, from roots to shoot, and that's how it gains a foothold. It's a, it's a bastard little bugger. All right. I've yep. nerded out enough. I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to drop knowledge. I was just hoping to help you understand that it's a piece of shit. and We want to make it go he away. And that's why it's expensive. To, he wants to nerd out on life. I'll tell you that right now. Because we have, we have a private chat to help keep things going in the background, right? So we, when you see us typing over here, typically that's where we're communicating with one another. Like, for instance, when Demay's like, hey, I got to go put my kid to bed. Give me 10 minutes kind of thing, right? And that helps J-Pink Q. This is a way behind the scenes shit there. Sorry, J-Pink. Um <laughs> Uh, anyway, Lower, Matt. Lower. Uh, DeMay has been uh, amassing various files on on light, <laughs> and uh, and so I reckon we can start throwing these up on the screen because I, I'm going to sit back and, and listen to this as well. I've, I'm going to learn here. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Let's just launch into the shade thing. Let's, well, here's, let's fucking do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the basic reason that your shit's all fucked up, man. I mean, it's just right here. <laughs> I'll flip I'll flip I'll flip the switch okay. from nerdy back to yeah. Okay. Uh reality. You know, <laughs> chlorophyll, more like borophyll. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do, Matt ah. does not Matt Matt does not know that. Matt, is it by from the a way, movie? Is that from a it movie? Is. Yes, Fuck it is. Movie. What movie is this? Billy Madison. Billy Madison. We we might watch oh. we might watch Billy Madison first because it is one of the most highly quotable films of the last twenty five years. I mean, bar none. So I've seen bits and one pieces. One of my favorites. Bits one and pieces. Favorites. I bits and pieces. Uh, 
Uh, I hope that we can find a crane large enough to lift that rock that you uh, live under so you can come watch these movies because we're only <laughs> You're gonna 12 patrons crane. away. 12 patrons away, gentlemen. All right. So, Patreon. ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching and listening, yeah. yeah. The, the deal is if we get up to 69 patrons, Matt will be forced. Uh, we'll go so far as to duct tape him into a lawn chair and use scotch tape to keep his eyes open, uh, just like they do in the KGB. Uh, Clockwork Orange? Is that what that? Yeah, we could do that. Yep, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah. So, come join us. We'd, we'd love to see it. It's an only an airport beer. 69 patrons gets us to a movie watch party. I think uh, we said monthly, monthly movie watch parties, something like that. So uh, Matt really needs to become cultured in the way of cinema, and you have the power to make that happen. So we appreciate you. All I'm right, let's go back. So I don't mind the torture aspect. The be- you know. I think you'll enjoy yourself. I think, I think there will be a critical mass point, and it might not be the first movie, the second movie, but I think there'll be a point at which you have a reckoning with yourself and really hate yourself for denying yourself all this pleasure for the last 35 plus years of your life on this earth. Maybe. That's what I think. Maybe not. Listen, I trouble with suspension of disbelief, right? And that's, that's the whole premise of movies, right? You get, you get into the zone where I am the broken human being that finds faults or un, unrealistic issues within the movie and it snaps me out of of that trance-like state and it's difficult for me to get back into it because i continue to look for fault after fault and that's and so i i struggle even from the comedic aspects you know like somebody gets slapped around or something i'm like that doesn't even that does not look like an accurate slap around you know his face wasn't moving in the correct direction of the slap this is bullshit i'm not gonna watch it anymore because i'm broken something is wired incorrectly maybe we can rewire me i don't know then I recommend that we either start with Schindler's List or Ken Burns' Civil War documentary from start to finish without you getting up out of your chair. Those is it bad? I've seen, I've seen Schindler's List. I have seen it. it I, that's it that's good that you me. have. It, it tells me, me that you're that, a human being. It tells me that you're a human being. I do possess empathy. That is that is for sure. I know that. I know that. That's the weird part about you not watching movies. It, it just blows my mind. All right. Let's talk about chlorophyll, borophyll, photosynthesis. All right. So this is tried, Jason, really what's... This is what's going on. Uh, as we go through this, are there any pictures? Did you ever pull any cores on your, like a, you know, like a soil sample or anything like that to look at your roots? Not those, but did you ever look at your root depths as you were out there by chance? Um, <clears throat> I will typically, there will typically be roots at the bottom of the, the cup core. So oh, wow. maybe okay. or at Seven least near inches. the bottom. Usually, yeah, actually that's, Okay, let me clarify. I can't actually get the whole cutter all the way in. I got to do it in two. Um, okay, you have two to pieces. give you a sense of to give you yeah. a sense of the the clay that I'm working on back there. Um, Cut plenty of two pieces yeah, in a day. I get it. <laughs> but it's it's they'll usually be roots down at least you know the five six seven inches of the first the first pull. Okay. Okay. So that all being said, so let's go back to the photosynthesis thing here. So again, you get into summertime, right? And you've now got filtered light because your tree, your trees have now leafed out right the sun's a little bit higher in the sky but your trees have leafed out and now you've got filtered light coming through there okay so essentially here's what's happening is you know you take the equation here for photosynthesis carbon dioxide plus water sun's energy from the top chlorophyll captures that energy it produces sugar and a byproduct of oxygen right 
at the same time, right? There's also something called respiration. So photosynthesis makes those sugars, right? The energy that gets stored down on the roots. Respiration is what consumes that energy, okay? So here's what ends up happening, especially in a shaded situation, is that you reach peak photosynthesis at a temperature on cool season grasses somewhere in the neighborhood of about 68 degrees Fahrenheit air temperature. You got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Hang on. You cut out. You cut out. You said 68 degrees Fahrenheit and then then keep going. Now keep going. Yeah, you said photosynthesis, it peaks at 68 degrees Fahrenheit and then you literally froze. I froze. I was panicking. I thought it was me. (laughs) No, it's me. So, okay, so it peaks at 68 degrees Fahrenheit, right? At that point, the photosynthetic activity in that plant only starts to go down from there, right? It can't go up anymore. So we've peaked, right? And so at that point, right, the level of respiration starts to go up, right? Okay, so our respiration, the consumption of food is still going up, right, as we approach these higher and higher temperatures, and we reach a point where we cross those two axes, right? And now we're consuming more energy than we can replace it with, right? So let's just consider this to be in an ideal situation, no trees, no other limiting factors, right? In terms of, you know, shade, air movement, water, anything like that. That might be a little bit further off and down the line, right? In terms of how close these get to touching before they actually cross over one another. In your case, right, where you're limiting that sunlight, that line comes pretty quick, right? To where our consumption is greater than what we can produce because of the filtered light and the shade that's that's causing that, right? So what can we do, all right? Short of cutting down the trees, which again, I've said it, we'll bring the beer. You just have Sunbelt drop the chipper off, right? To get you a couple <laughs> of ropes. It'll be a great little Saturday. Might have time for Home Depot, Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have time for that. but That's from a movie. Know. That is from a movie. And <laughs> the, the one thing about that scene, though, well, or the scene that comes after is that there will be no tree of trust because it'll be on the ground and in firewood-sized pieces when we're all done with it. So if you're following along at home, you'll know what I'm talking about. Matt, just act like you know what I'm talking about. All right. Mm-hmm. So with this whole issue of respiration exceeding photosynthesis, right, so we're consuming more. So, you know, we're, we're sloughing off roots. We can't keep up in that sense. So what can we do? All right, so a couple of different things, right? Photosynthetic area of the turf is determined by what, Ray? Photosynthetic area of our turf is determined by what? The leaf you got area. Boom! Leaf look at this area. guy. He's out here. So, look at that. So, yeah, John, Act- John Madden, tough acting, acting. I don't have it in my drawer anymore. Damn it. So, the, you know, in plain English, the lower you mow grass or are intending to mow grass, the more sun it needs that's that's just bottom line and so because you have leaf, less so, leaf surface area to take in light yeah you have yeah, oh that's right <laughs> so it made the move so here's here, here here's the situation because when i'm working with grass in shadier areas there are things that I do to it to ensure that I don't turn the area into dirt. Number one is I'm mindful of my height of cut. 
I'm also very mindful of how often I mow. And lastly, uh, this is advanced level turf management, but I actually start to utilize plant growth regulators in shady situations. This guy is on to it. Okay, so let's talk and un let's unpack that, right? My man Matt's favorite mm -hmm. verb in the world, and I've co-opted it because I can't. Okay, mm -hmm. so in that particular in those cases, right? What is the mowing height on the putting green right now? Uh, an eighth. Okay, Ooh. so an eighth. Is there any particular reason why you chose that number other than it sounds really cool? I yeah, I I think it was like USGA spec for a putting green, so I just wanted to try it. Okay, cool, cool, okay. cool. Okay. So, yeah, Jason, uh, be glad of it that I'm not sitting beside you right now, <laughs> because if you it's told me you were cutting grass growing in shade at an ace of an inch, okay, I I'm mean, not. Because, I wanted a putting green because, in my backyard. I knew it wasn't smart, but we're just trying to send. No, it. no, 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 no. You, you listen. We're <laughs> optimizing. We're optimizing. This, yeah. I, I will say, this is nine out of ten people that did what you did in the situation you did would have outright royal fucked this up. Like they would, they would have killed. I, I think uh, you're, it you're doing died. fine. You're doing fine. You're doing we're in the optimization phase. This isn't a yeah. post mortem of here lies the spot <laughs> where Jason used to have his green in his backyard. R.I.P. Right. Mm -hmm. You know. You know, Dr. Well, Ito's not over there reading him his last rites and making sure that he has all of his uh, <laughs> pertinent information so he knows when to send that final bill. Yeah, but uh, but in cases where I have to maintain playable turf and I'm not getting the amount of sunlight that the grass is supposed to be getting, I'm not married to one ace. Like, for example, that convo that I had with that hotshot lawn bowler uh, who's asking, why am I not mowing low at this time of the year? It's because in Hawaii, grass is still alive and green at this time of the year. But guess how much sunlight we get here? We don't get a lot of sun. So uh, I can give the guy his ultra fast green. But he's going to be playing on dirt. What's the old because... saying, Ray? Nothing, nothing puts faster than dirt. Yeah, nothing puts faster <laughs> can, than dirt. I can vouch for and... that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and... <laughs> dry dirt, dry dirt. You got to qualify that. You got to qualify dry dirt, dry dirt, wet dirt. But... And the yeah, so the green is, is not in the rules no of golf, balls. <laughs> but yeah, muddy balls are, are bad. Yeah, you bet. I've got two but hands. The, the thing about... Lay on the bed. Grass that is growing in shade is... You often, you often need to make a, a little bit of a choice here as to, do you want grass? Or do you want dirt? I mean, which, which do you want? And right. even on a green... I will be the first person to say raise my height of cut to like point one eight. 
That's if what I'm talking I know about. I'm dealing with a, with with a lack of sun. You know, if I'm so with, yeah, because yeah, go ahead. Because you see, because you see, it is easy, and I've even seen this in the business where somebody shows off and is mowing at an eighth or point one or Lord forbid point zero zero nine. And you know what they get for showing off? I'm gonna guess dirt. Their greens their greens die and the greens get taken over by weeds. And that's what they get for showing off. Yep. Versus so you yeah. Back up your height of cut a little bit, and you grow grass rather than weeds. And at the end of the day, at least you still have grass. <laughs> and and so that's what I was going to suggest here to start. Right. So, how do we manage this situation again, where we are missing out on uh, photosynthesis in critical periods? Okay. So number one is yeah, first and most reasonable thing to do is raise your mowing height. Okay. So I would I would say thirty to forty percent is fine, and let's talk about what that means for playability because I'm sure that's a concern, right? You want you know everybody wants fast greens, and this has always been sort of the the crux of where does green speed come from? Does it come from height of cut, or does it come from what we call texture management on those surfaces? And the 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 research bears out that mowing height is really not necessarily indicative. So if you're really interested in this subject. Um, Jason, I'll see if I can find the links to it, but if you go on his Twitter, you can probably pull it up, but Bill Kreuzer, who was formerly at University of Lincoln, or University of Nebraska at Lincoln, he now runs a golf course out there and does uh, the Greenkeeper app, but he did some really interesting work uh, between rolling and PGRs and mowing height. I think it was last summer or the summer prior. Um, actually, it, was, it would have been 2020 where they were looking at that stuff, and the mowing height was really like the third most important variable with respect to green speed and trueness, right, of those greens. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I think you could go up to one, you know, 165 to 180, right, in terms of thousandths of an inch and be A-OK. And what you've done there, but, right, is what you've done there is increased your surface area, right, your photosynthetic area of your leaf 30 to 40%, and that's a huge gain right there. But, Ray, mm-hmm. go ahead. But uh make note of the primary piece and this is something that i utilize on playing shortcut playing surfaces growing under low sunlight conditions in that in order to get the playability on these greens instead of constantly mowing low roll i'm rolling i'm yeah, rolling so that's the okay and I'm, that's the other thing and yeah, i go ahead and I'm t- and I'm talking about like on a, on a bowling green, the greens get rolled almost every day. Yeah. Instead of instead of me mowing them shorter and shorter to an inch of their life, instead I'm saying, hey, let's take out the the speed roller, and and work the green out with the speed roller, and just roll it. And so as a result. The turf is perfectly playable even at that 0.18 height of cut. There's so, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> go ahead. And I think I, go ahead, Jason. I noticed that too. Um, so when I first started with the green, um, I was mm-hmm. top dressing pretty consistently at like 
thick it, just because it was so it wasn't even close to it anything that could survive being cut that like i couldn't even cut it that short and i would notice mm-hmm. whenever i did even just top dress it got significantly quicker for a period of time and at that time i was probably at three eighths to half an inch even depending on i had i had a mclean walk behind that was set at three eighths but i think mowing more like a half and so even when it would mm. top dress it would get pretty quick for a minute so that was going to be something i was going to try realistically all all of everything that i do is just baffo and then just figure out what works and what doesn't and so yeah eighth mm-hmm. of an inch but yeah so yeah we're it, just it, no it, you're, you're you're right and that's that's what this whole thing is is like trying to like we said optimize those pieces and yep. see what you do so i think okay so the rolling piece i definitely i mean 100 percent agree with if you want to look up uh some good research there uh tom t-h-o-m nikolai n-i-k-o-l-a-i l-a-i yeah at michigan state uh damn near 20 years of absolutely fantastic data and you'll find presentations and papers from him related to this topic of frequent rolling and less mowing, right? So how frequently are you mowing the green right now in terms of uh, times per week? Um, it, it was anywhere between daily and every other day. Okay, yeah. Like Whoa. You could be, Whoa. no, it's not, it's not that, it's not bad. It's just you're, again, you're causing more stress. So one other piece on the mowing here, don't let me forget that, but definitely I would go to, a roll two days, mow one day approach and see how that does. Mm. I think your I okay. think your turf would be a lot happier. And Never, I think yep. you can sort of normal you can normalize green speeds to be pretty consistent with that roll. And you can double roll like if you want to, and you can use your roller that I saw back there, the black push or pull behind one like that. Or you yep. can just take your greens master and just leave the front roller up off the ground and roll with the rear drum and just do that too. So either one of those things is fine. The one question I had related to the mowing here is the type of front roller do you have? Do you have a grooved or a solid front roller on your mower? Um, grooved on the Greensmaster and Jacobson. Um, I just, this in like around Christmas time, I picked up a John Deere that has a smooth front roller. Ooh, yeah. yeah. That one. Look at that guy. Okay. Yeah, so I would be, I would be exclusively. E? Uh, 180B. Uh, looks like a 180, 180B. Oh. Uh-huh. So I would I would exclusively be using a solid on this particular green. I would not be using a groove roller at all. Okay. So grooved rollers groove rollers are uh far and away more aggressive. So like if this was wide out open in the sun and you were really trying to push it, right, I would absolutely say, Hey, go ahead and use groove rollers. If you're going through, you know, peak flush in the early spring or something like that and you just got a lot of grass on the green to get off there, right? then I would I would be okay with using it. But by the time you get to up there, say Memorial Day, right, that's the time to get rid of it, right? What's the old saying, Matt? Anybody can grow grass until Memorial Day, but after that, you need it a takes, professional. Mm-hmm. It takes, so, it takes a professional. Or, or Jason from Arlon. Just saying, right? Yeah. Well, you don't see me growing that- grass. Better use that is, uh, you know, that that whole bit about the the grooved roller versus the smooth roller, that is something that, conversely, I've seen people get into big trouble running smooth rollers on the real mowers in full sun areas because what they get into is because the cut is not aggressive enough. They give themselves a lot of thatch. 
it's yeah, it's a delicate balance there. You you're not you're not going to prevent but, thatch with a grooved roller because on on cool season anyway. I, I it, it's it's likely different on warm season. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but you are a special case in that you are growing bent grass under partially shady conditions and. To me, what I see just by looking at it visually is that is a green to me that I'm going to call a little bit soft and it needs a slightly more delicate touch versus me showing up there with my grooved roller. No, make that my cast iron grooved roller so that it's front heavy and it digs in. You know, your green would be the kind your your green would be the kind of green where I would be running it with the hollow smooth aluminum roller. Yeah. To cut down like on the weight and to cut and to make it a little less aggressive cut wise. Yep. Yeah. I, so I that, think that, those are all important. It, all important things. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, it's, it's okay, just so, a different yeah. approach. <laughs> So, th th I think there's a whole other conversation to be had that we probably don't have time for right now about the top dressing and the surface management piece. So, in terms of uh, grooming, if you have the capability to groom and top dressing and things like that, all I will say is that, you know, especially in those times of peak growth, particularly in the springtime, is there will be times that you have too much grass, like it's laid over too much, and those are appropriate times if you can to go ahead and use the groomer. Do you have a mower that has a groomer on it or no? Unfortunately, I don't. Uh, the closest I get, and it's not the same, is just the, the like, Sun Joe with the Scarifier, which yeah. kind of works to a degree, yeah. but it's not this. I understand it's not the same idea. Yeah, so it, the other thing I would say if you if you wanted to is to try, and, and it looks small enough that you could do this, is get yourself... Um, just even a push broom, you know, go to Menards, get yourself a push broom and brush those areas so that they're stand, they're stood up, right? And then go ahead and mow those off, right? It's one way that we can use to manage texture is just standing the plant up and then go ahead and clipping it off. Um, and it's nice yeah. because you got several different mowers. So uh, if you if you can during those times, again, those peak growth times, don't be afraid to use the groove roller with that and the brushing technique to try and remove that excess leaf tissue. And just know as far as when setting height of cut, especially at the low height that you're at, is that typically on your grooved roller, you're going to be about 7,000 lower actual height of cut. So when you go ahead and set your bench, like let's just say that you're at 163 on your solid, go ahead and set that, that grooved roller to 170 to be trying to match okay. as closely as possible on that side of the height cut. Okay. Is it a big deal on somebody that's mowing at 400? No. Is it a big deal when you're below 200? Yeah, it is. So oh, yeah. keep that in mind. It matters. Keep that in mind. <laughs> so uh, last two things here that I have in terms of the shade management piece is any PGRs that you're using currently. Yes or no? Uh yeah, try to uh try to pack that I have been using. Okay. And are you pretty consistent with that through the the entire uh, growing was, season? I was this year outside of the window of time when my sprayer broke. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would continue on that path for sure. And again, try to follow the growing degree day model if you can. Um, are you familiar with actually, that? Oh, go ahead. Yes. So I found something from, uh, I think it was Madison had a study that was had 200 
days on zero yep. degrees Celsius was the yep. reapplication interval. Is that what you would yep. recommend as well? Yeah, okay. two hundred. You can probably even get away with two fifty if you had to, but two hundred is a good a good number to to go off of. So you know you can use um, Greencast to track those. You can use um, GDD Tracker from MSU, or if you want, if you have Greenkeeper app, I think it's one hundred twenty bucks a year. Put one together. G Man does have like a, a spreadsheet or something. Well, you have to enter. I, you have to enter the data in by yourself, or is it auto populate from like an I, API? I or honestly something? don't know. Okay. Anyway, a variety of different ways to track that, but that would be good. Yeah, it would be it would be wise to do that because here's the reason why, right? Because we hear we explain the why. Um, I would go down the path of um doing that just because uh, so those chloroplasts, right? Those thing, those structures in the leaf that take up the sunlight, right, and capture that as energy using the process of photosynthesis. When you uh, basically restrict the growth of the leaf, you compress the area that those are in. They become tighter inside the leaf, more packed. I'll see if I have a slide that shows it. I, I might. Anyhow, uh, it becomes really, really, really important in that sense because uh, it makes your photosynthetic uh, opportunities a little bit more impactful. So. Man, I wish I thought I had. Maybe not. Okay. Anyway, so that's something I would definitely look into as well. The last piece is: uh, Do you have an iPhone or an Android? I know this is a personal question. <laughs> Android. You have an Smart Android. Okay. Fucking man, right there. He is. <laughs> no, no chance. I'd, All right. I'm iPhone. Hard pass. Hard pass. Hard pass here too hard hard pass uh let me see i can't remember oh yeah so i would uh, look at look at look at jpink the outnumbered one here i mean that's right literally the only (laughs) 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 band hammer right there all right so Check out an app. Check out an app called uh, Sun Surveyor. I think there's a free one, but I, I think the one that's pretty good is like a couple of bucks. So Sun Surveyor is a, a pretty nice little app. JPink, see if you can. I, I don't know if there's anything we can pull up on the web. Sun Surveyor for Android, and what this does is allows you to hold your camera up to those trees, like that view that we were looking at before, like straight south, and you can put in any day, any time of the year. Right, I can put in May fifteenth at uh 12 30 p.m and it'll show me exactly where the sun's going to cross the sky and what does which tree branches might be in the way so if you're not going to spend and drop that five to ten grand to get those removed which i agree it's it's pretty ludicrous right maybe you go in for a grand and you remove the most impactful limbs and get rid of those bad boys so that might be money well spent if this is going to be a long-term effort because a thousand dollars versus beating your head into the ground, uh, trying to manage photosynthesis on a plant below two hundred thousandths of an inch, trust me, is a recipe for disaster and uh, sleeping on the couch with the little pillows. Trust me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that that'd be a good way to survey it rather than you know, Billy Joe back come up. Man, we'll take that limb right there. This one over here. Like, don't don't do that. <laughs> be a little bit more selective about how you do that. So. Sun Surveyor, fantastic app, especially in a situation like your south facing trees. That accent again. <laughs> Man, we'll take this one now. You see that crotch right there? Oh, I see that crotch right there, Billy Joe. <laughs> I'm gonna go right in there. I'm gonna take that down. 
Where are you going to take it down? How far? All the way. I like what you're saying, man. How much? $30. All right. I'll meet you back behind the Kenworth in 30 minutes. <laughs> anyway. It's I don't know if that's intended to be a mad impression, but that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good. It's, 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 <laughs> that is that is my that is my interpretation of Matt's amalgamation of every ornery rat bastard Southern yeah. he's ever worked for in his entire life. Yeah, every time he gets excited, you, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty I good love impression. You, Matt. I <laughs> love you too. <laughs> uh. Listen, Jason, do you have any final questions for us? Let's take this yeah, to the yeah, yeah. show so I can cut up a little bit. <laughs> no, I this is I gotta get to spend a good like forty minutes where just like I was barely smart enough to know when I was supposed to nod. So that was, dude, that was good. Dude, dude, listen. Listen. This I, I had seriously, I had a ton of fun and I know that we threw a lot of this is these are the fun ones where like here's here's my view, right? Is that you are pushing boundaries. You are doing a great job. You need to give yourself some credit. I know it's easy to go and see the yeah. losses and be like, shit, man, like I, I messed that up, whatever. Like you got you got a hundred easy ways right out in front of you to get better. And I know if you just do some yeah. of these things, you'll see improvement for sure. But man, looking at your lawn when you took over the house till now is like some HD TV type shit. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> so be proud of yourself, you know. Yeah. I mean, look at that right there. Right there. I think I had one of those for dinner. <laughs> What's that? Appreciate it. The the lawn on the right. <laughs> Look at that. That does. That looks hey. like part of my dinner there. You know what? You know what? I think you just throw a little tenacity out there. You're gonna be fine. Oh boy. That's oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> we gotta go to the after show. Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on the main show. Let's head to the after thank show you. where we can talk dirty. All right, we'll see everybody <laughs> there. Have a good one. Thank you.